Chapter Eighteen of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Eighteen. Defense of the Ranch of Roaring Bull. Every light and every spark of fire had been extinguished in the ranch of Roaring Bull when its defenders issued from its doorway. They were armed to the teeth, and glided across the yard to the fence or stockade that enclosed the buildings, leaving the door slightly open so as to be ready for speedy retreat. It had been arranged that, as there was a large open field without bush or tree in the rear of the ranch, they should leave that side undefended at first. They'll never come into the open as long as they can crawl up through the bush, Jackson had said, while making his final dispositions. They're almost sure to come up in front, thinking we're all abed. Now mind, don't stand still, boys, but walk along as you fire, to give em the notion there's more of us. And don't fire at nothing. They'd think we was in a funk. And when you hear me whistle, get into the house as quick as a cottontail rabbit, and as sly as a snake. After the moon went down, everything in and around the ranch was as silent as the grave, save now and then the stamp of a hoof on the floor of a shed, where a number of horses stood saddled and bridled, ready to mount at a moment's notice. For Jackson had made up his mind, if it came to the worst, to mount and make a bold dash with all his household through the midst of his foes, trusting to taking them by surprise and to his knowledge of the country for success. For a long time, probably two hours, the three men stood at their posts, motionless and silent. Still there was no sign, either by sight or sound, of an enemy. The outline of the dark woods was barely visible against the black sky in front of each solitary watcher, and no moving thing could be distinguished in the open field, behind, either by Crux or Darval, to each of whom the field was visible. Jackson guarded the front. To Dick, unaccustomed as he was to such warfare, the situation was very trying, and might have told on his nerves severely if he had not been a man of iron mould. As it was, he had no nerves to speak of. But he was a man of lively imagination. More than fifty times within those two hours did he see a black form moving in the darkness that lay between him and the wood, and more than fifty times was his Winchester rifle raised to his shoulder, but as often did the caution don't fire at nothing rise to his memory. The stockade was of peculiar construction, because its owner and maker was eccentric and a mechanical genius. Not only were the pickets of which it was composed very strong and planted with just space between to permit of firing, but there was a planking of strong boards waist-high all around the bottom inside, which afforded some protection to defenders by concealing them when they stooped and changed position. While matters were in this state outside, Mary Jackson and Buttercup were standing at an upper window just opposite the front gate, the latter with a huge bell-mouthed blunderbuss of the last century, loaded with buckshot in her hands. Mary stood beside her sable domestic, ready to direct her, not as to how, but where and when, to use the ancient weapon. "'You must be very careful, Buttercup,' said Mary in a low voice, not to fire till I tell you and to point only where I tell you, else you'll shoot father. And do keep your finger off the trigger. By the way, have you cocked it?" "'Oh, Missy, I forget that,' answered the damsel with a self-condemned look as she corrected the error. "'But don't you fear, Miss Mary. I's used to dis yar blunderbuss. Last time I fire him was at a raven. 
Down hoed de raven, blow to Adams, and down hoed me too, cause de dreadful ting kicks like a Texas mule. But brass you, I don't mind dat. I's used to it. Buttercup gave a little sniff of grave scorn with her flat nose, as though to intimate that the ordinary ills of life were beneath her notice. We have said that all fires had been extinguished, but this is not strictly correct. For in the room where the two maidens watched, there was an iron stove so enclosed that the fire inside did not show, and as it was fed with charcoal there were neither flames nor sparks to betray its presence. On this there stood a large cast-iron pot full of water, the bubbling of which was the only sound that broke the profound stillness of the night, while the watchers scarcely breathed, so intently did they listen. At last the patient and self-restraining Dick saw a dark object moving towards his side of the stockade which he felt was much too real to be classed with the creatures of his imagination, which had previously given him so much trouble. Without a moment's hesitation the rifle flew to his shoulder, and the prolonged silence was broken by the sharp report, while an involuntary half-suppressed cry proved that he had not missed his mark. The dark object hastily retreated. A neighboring cliff echoed the sounds, and two shots from his comrades told the sailor that they also were on the alert. Instantly the night was rendered hideous by a series of wild yells and whoops, while, for a moment, the darkness gave place to a glare of light as a hundred rifles vomited their deadly contents, and the sound of many rushing feet was heard upon the open sward in front of the ranch. The three male defenders had ducked their heads below the protecting breastwork when the volley was fired, and then, discarding all idea of further care, they skipped along their respective lines, yelling and firing the repeaters so rapidly that to any one ignorant of the true state of things it must have seemed as if the place were defended by a legion of demons. To add to the hullabaloo, Buttercup's blunderbuss poured forth its contents upon a group of red warriors who were rushing towards the front gate with such a cannon-like sound and such wonderful effect that the rush was turned into a sudden and limping retreat. The effect indeed was more severe even than Buttercup had intended for a stray buckshot had actually taken a direction which had been feared, and grazed her master's left arm. Happily the wound was very slight, and to do the poor damsel justice she could not see that her master was jumping from one place to another like a caged lion. Like the same animal, however, he gave her to understand what she had done, by shouting in a thunderous bass roar that fully justified his sobriquet. "'Mind your eye, Buttercup! Not so low next time!' The immediate result of this vigorous defense was to make the Indians draw off and retire to the woods, presumably for consultation. By previous arrangement the negro girl issued from the house with three fresh repeaters in her arms, ran around to the combatants with them, and returned with their almost empty rifles. These she and Mary proceeded to reload in the hall, and then returned to their post at the upper front window. The morning by this time was pretty well advanced, and Jackson felt a little uncertain as to what he should now do. It was still rather dark, but in a very short time he knew dawn would spread over the east, when it would, of course, be quite impossible to defend the walls of the little fort without revealing the small number of its defenders. On the other hand, if they should retire at once, the enemy might find a lodgment within, among the outbuildings, before there was light enough to prevent them by picking off the leaders in which case the assailants would be able to apply fire to the wooden walls of the house, without much risk. "'If they manage to pile up enough of brush to clap a light to,' he grumbled to himself in an undertone, "'it's all up with us.' 
The thought had barely passed through his brain when a leaden messenger intended to pass through it carried his cap off his head, and the fire that had discharged it almost blinded him. Bigfoot, the chief of the savages, had wriggled himself, snake-fashion, up to the stockade unseen, and while Roaring Bull was meditating what was best to be done, he had nearly succeeded in rendering him unable to do anything at all. The shot was the signal for another onslaught. Once more the woods rang with fiendish yells and rattling volleys. Bigfoot, with the agility and strength of a gorilla, leaped up and over the stockade and sprung down into Jackson's arms, while Darval and Crux resumed their almost ubiquitous process of defense, and Buttercup's weapon again thundered forth its defiance. This time the fight was more protracted. Bigfoot's career was indeed stopped for the time being, for Jackson not only crushed the life almost out of him by an unloving embrace, but dealt him a prize-fighter's blow which effectually stretched him on the ground. Not a moment too soon, however, for the white man had barely got rid of the red one, when another savage managed to scale the wall. A blow from the butt of Jackson's rifle dropped him, and then the victor fired so rapidly and with such effect that a second time the Reds were repulsed. Jackson did not again indulge in meditation, but blew a shrill blast on a dog-whistle, a preconcerted signal, on hearing which his two comrades made for the house door, at full speed. Only one other of the Indians, besides the two already mentioned, had succeeded in getting over the stockade. This man was creeping up to the open door of the house, and tomahawk in hand, had almost reached it when Dick Darval came tearing around the corner. "'Hallo! Crux!' cried Dick. "'That you?' The fact that he received no reply was sufficient for Dick, who was too close to do more than drive the point of his rifle against the chest of the Indian, who went down as if he had been shot while Dick sprang in and held open the door. A word from Jackson and Crux as they ran forward sufficed. They passed in, and the massive door was shut and barred, while an instant later at least half a dozen savages ran up against it and began to thunder on it with their rifle-butts and tomahawks. "'To your windows!' shouted Jackson as he sprang up the wooden staircase three steps at a time. "'Fresh rifles here, Mary!' "'Yes, father,' came in a silvery and most unwarlike voice from the hall below. Another moment, and three shots rang from the three sides of the house, and of the three Indians who were at the moment in the act of clambering over the stockade, one fell inside and two out. Happily, daylight soon began to make objects distinctly visible, and the Indians were well aware that it would now be almost certain death to any one who should attempt to climb over. It is well known that, as a rule, savages do not throw away their lives recklessly. The moment it became evident that darkness would no longer serve them, those who were in the open retired to the woods, and potted at the windows of the ranch, but as the openings from which the besieged fired were mere loopholes made for the purpose of defense, they had little hope of hitting them at long range except by chance. Those of the besiegers who happened to be near the stockade took shelter behind the breastwork, and awaited further orders from their chief, ignorant of the fact that he had already fallen. From the loopholes of the room which Jackson had selected to defend, the shed with the saddled horses was visible, so that no one could reach it without coming under the fire of his deadly weapon. There was also a window in this room, opening upon the back of the house, and commanding the field which we have before mentioned as being undefended while the battle was waged outside. By casting a glance now and then through this window he could see any foe who might show himself in that direction. 
The only part of the fort that seemed exposed to great danger now was the front door, where the half-dozen savages, with a few others who had joined them, were still battering away at the impregnable door. Dick, who held the garret above, could not see the door, of course, nor could he by any manoeuvre manage to bring his rifle to bear on it from his loophole, and he dared not leave his post, lest more Indians should manage to scale the front stockade. Buttercup, in the room below, had indeed a better chance at her window, but she was too inexpert in warfare to point the blunderbuss straight down and fire with effect, especially knowing, as she did, that the sight of her arm in the act would be the signal for a prompt fusillade. But the girl was not apparently much concerned about that, or anything else. The truth is that she possessed in an eminent and enviable degree the spirit of entire trust in a leader. She was under orders, and awaited the word of command with perfect equanimity. She even smiled slightly, if such a mouth could be said to do anything slightly, when Mary left her to take fresh rifles to the defenders overhead. At last the command came from the upper regions, in tones that caused the very savages to pause a moment and look at each other in surprise. They did not pause long, however. "'Now, Buttercup!' thundered Roaring Bull. "'Give it em! Hot!' At the word the girl calmly laid aside her weapon, lifted the big iron pot with familiar and business-like facility, and emptied it over the window. The result is more easily imagined than described. A yell that must have been heard miles off was the prelude to a stampede of the most lively nature. It was intensified, if possible, by the further action of the negress, who, seizing the blunderbuss, pointed it at the flying crowd, and shutting both eyes, fired. Not a buckshot took effect on the savages, for Buttercup, if we may say so, aimed too low. But the effect was more stupendous than if the aim had been good for the heavy charge drove up an indescribable amount of peppery dust and small stones into the rear of the flying foe, causing another yell which was not an echo but a magnified reverberation of the first. Thus Buttercup had the satisfaction of utterly routing her foes without killing a single man. Daylight had fairly set in by that time, and the few savages who had not succeeded in vaulting the stockade had concealed themselves behind the various outhouses. The proprietor of the ranch began now to have some hope of keeping the Indians at bay until the troops should succor him. He even left his post and called his friends to a council of war, when a wild cheer was heard in the woods. It was followed by the sound of firing. No sooner was this heard than the savages concealed outside of the breastwork rose as one man and ran for the woods. "'It's the troops!' exclaimed Dick hopefully. "'Troopers never cheer like that,' returned Jackson, with an anxious look. "'It's more like my poor cowboys, and if so they will have no chance with such a crowd of reds. We must ride to help them, and you'll have to ride with us, Mary. We daren't leave you behind, lass, with them varmints skulking around.' "'I'm ready, father,' said Mary, with a decided look, though it was evident from the pallor of her cheek that she was ill at ease. "'Now look here, Dick,' said Jackson quickly. "'You will go down and open the front gate. I'll go with ye.' with my repeater, to keep an eye on the hidden reptiles, so that if one of them shows so much as the tip of his ugly nose, he'll have cause to remember it. You will go to my loophole, Crux, and keep your eyes open all round, especially on the horses. When the gate is open, I'll shout, and you run down to the shed with the women. You understand?" Crux nodded. Acting on this plan, Dick ran to the gate. Jackson followed, rifle in hand, and having reached the middle of the fort, he faced round. 
only just in time to see a gun-barrel raised from behind a shed. Before he could raise his own weapon a shot was heard, and the gun-barrel disappeared, while the Indian who raised it fell wounded on the ground. "'Well done, Crux!' he exclaimed, at the same moment firing his own rifle at a head which was peeping round a corner. The head vanished instantly, and Darval rejoined him, having thrown the gate wide open. "'Come round with me, and drive the reptiles out!' cried Jackson. At the same time he uttered a roar that a bull might have envied, and they both rushed around to the back of the outhouses, where three Indians were found skulking. At the sudden and unexpected onslaught they fired an ineffectual volley, and fled wildly through the now open gate, followed by several shots from both pursuers, whose aim, however, was no better than their own had been. Meanwhile Crux and the girls, having reached the shed according to orders, mounted their respective steeds, and awaited their comrades. They had not long to wait. Jackson and Dick came round the corner of the shed at full speed, and without a word leaped simultaneously into their saddles. "'Keep close to me, girls. Close up!' was all that Jackson said as he dashed spurs into his horse, and sweeping across the yard and through the gate made straight for that part of the woods, where yells, shouts, and firing told that a battle was raging furiously. End of chapter 18